Hello and welcome to the Literature Podcast, A Novel Review. My name is Seamus, your host, and together we will discuss, dissect, and explore the wonderful world of literature, and the wonderful world of literature is a vast and dense jungle, so let's start making our way through, one book at a time. Hello, good day, and welcome to the beginning of another episode of A Novel Review, a podcast exploring the wonderful world of literature. My name is Seamus and I'm your host, and for today's episode, a bit of a formal one. Yes, that's right, today I will be exploring the world of formalism, with a bit of a focus on Vladimir Prop, the Russian formalist. But before I jump into this very formal episode of literature, I always take a moment to reflect on any mantelpiece moments, something to highlight from the week past that's perhaps a bit artistic, and this week it was incredibly artistic because this weekend it was a bit of a wet and dreary one in London. So you know what that means, galleries, and this weekend I went to see an exhibition by the Chinese artist Ai Weiwei, and if anyone remembers listening, or if you haven't, go check it out, of course, go check it out, absolutely, episode one of the podcast where I discussed Cormac McCarthy's The Road, but I actually spoke about Ai Weiwei here and sort of the mantelpiece moment there. He was having, uh, he is having, or I guess was having, depending when you're listening to this episode, an exhibition in the Design Museum in London, and the reason I wanted to check it out is because he combined perhaps my favourite artist in Claude Monet with everyone's favourite toy, Lego. And what he did was he created one of Monet's water lilies, uh, and it was simply divine to look at because it was so wonderfully vibrant, and from afar it really did look like a painting, and then when you got up close it was Lego, which is just so fun because it's not only the fact that the artwork is made up of 650,000 Lego bricks, which is, you know, a very paltry number, but it's just that kind of fun interplay of Lego, which, you know, is a toy and it's also used for making models and bringing sort of the physical, bringing physical life to designs and combining, and just sort of combining it with this idea of art. You know, you wouldn't say a single brick is particularly aesthetic, but it is in the larger context of a building as you see the makeup of the architectural beauty. But I guess the difference is, you know, a building does serve a purpose, whereas this is just pure artistic indulgence, which is just so fun. And I loved it. It was it was fantastic. I mean, look it up if you if you can't get to London. I mean, it's yeah, I don't know how long the show is actually running for, but look it up online. The pictures are pretty good. There's a lot. Maybe I'll post a few on Instagram. I don't know. I'm starting to ramble. Let's get let's get on with it. Housekeeping, as always, all the scripts from the episodes are available on my website, just in case you know of anyone who has a hearing impediment who might get a kick out of a written version of the pod. So head along there. They're all free for everyone to use and enjoy. So on with the episode. You might even be thinking, what am I going to talk about? What is formalism? Well, Russian formalism emerged in the 20th century in Russia, and it had a significant impact on the literary theory and criticism of the day. It was a school of thought that focused on the formal aspects of literature, such as the structure, language, and style of literary works. This approach was in contrast to the traditional approach to literature, which focused on the author's intention, the historical and cultural context of the work, and its social and political implications. Another key concept of Russian formalism is the idea of the literary device, which is a specific technique used by the author to create meaning in the work. For example, uh, the use of repetition, metaphor, or irony, it can create a specific effect and convey a particular message within the story itself. 
So Russian formalism had a profound impact on literary theory and criticism, both in Russia and around the world. Its emphasis on the formal aspect of literature helped to shift the focus of literary analysis from the author's intention to the text itself. It also paved the way for other literary movements, such as structuralism and post-structuralism. But, I mean, if this episode goes down well, I'll probably do an episode on them in the future as well. But today I'm going to just talk about sort of one aspect of formalism, and in particular the Russian formalist and, and the, his structural theories for narrative, and that is, of course, Vladimir Prop, as I previously mentioned. Uh, he was a Russian folklorist who is widely known for his groundbreaking work in the field of structuralist narratology. For a bit of context, Prop was born in St. Petersburg in 1895 and spent most of his life studying folklore and mythology. So, Prop's most famous work was his book, Morphology of the Folktale, which was first published in Russia in 1928. In this book, Prop analysed the structure of Russian folktales and identified 31 narrative functions that were present in nearly every folktale. These functions included things like the villainy or the villain, the struggle and the wedding of the hero or heroine. Prop's work was incredibly groundbreaking because it established you know, this, this structuralist approach to analysing narrative. By breaking down folktales into their component parts, Prop was able to identify patterns and recurring motifs that had previously gone unnoticed. His work has had a profound influence on literary theory and has paved the way for many other structuralist approaches to narrative analysis. In addition to his work as well, Prop was also a renowned linguist and historian. He wrote extensively on the history of Russian language and of the relationship between language and culture, which, again, that's probably another episode in there as well. My God, they're just coming out my ears at the moment. Uh, so Prop's legacy continues to influence scholars in a wide range of fields, from linguistics to anthropology to literary theory and film studies, and his approach to analysing narrative has become an essential tool for anyone who wants to understand how stories work and how they are constructed. He addressed this in his book, Morphology of the Folktales, and he identified these 31 functions he believed that were present in all Russian folktales. These functions were the basic building blocks of the narrative structures of these tales. And I have, I mean, there's 31, they're very easy to find, just type in 31 functions, uh, prop, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, make up of those words. But I have for you today just the first five that I will go through and discuss so that we can sort of start to see and understand just what it is I'm talking about and how it pervades into modern works of literature because I, I can't imagine there's that many people that are Russian folklorists and folktalists that are specifically just that these days. You know, we want to know how it's infiltrated the rest of the world. Now, of course, these are just going to be the base functions I talk about. So the reasons I apply them to particular works might not be the reasons someone else uses. But for my purposes, I am going to apply them to some pretty famous texts, just so you can understand how it's backed up in, in, in sort of a more cultural perspective. So the first function is absentation. And this refers to the initial departure of the hero or the object from the story of their usual setting. You know, another way to look at this is, of course, our hero is orphaned and removed from his home. So that's the first one, absentation. The second function is interdiction, and this is when our hero is given a prohibition or a command that they must not do something. Our hero is introduced to something they probably shouldn't do. The third function is, of course, the violation of the interdiction. This is where the hero disobeys the command or prohibition, and this one is pretty self-explanatory. The hero messes with the thing he probably shouldn't have in the first place. 
The fourth function is the villainy or lack, and this refers to the introduction of the villain or antagonist in the story. This step, I feel, can sort of come at any stage in the opening stages of the novel story because I don't think it specifically has to be fourth, but, you know, you have to introduce some kind of villain in the story of... Uh, otherwise, what's the point? The fifth function is the meditation, and this is where a helper or a guide is introduced to aid the hero in their quest. And for the fifth, again, this is quite self-explanatory, as you probably heard. Someone comes along to help the the person. So let's have a little think, shall we? And I'll start to sketch out our hero for you. See if you can pick them. Raise your hands. I'll, you know, whoever's got their hand up first, I'll definitely call upon them to give the answer. Let's start with an orphan boy living with his relatives, normally an uncle or an auntie, finds out that the normal life they have been living is suddenly more complicated by the introduction of something often large and what could be considered magical. And then someone comes along to help this boy. So do we have any takers to who this boy might be? I bet the Harry Potter fans are jumping at the bit right now. But how about the Star Wars fans? Is there anybody here? Any Lord of the Rings fans? Frodo, Harry Potter and Luke Skywalker are all orphaned who lived with an uncle in Frodo's case or both of them, auntie and uncle, for Harry Potter and Luke Skywalker. They all find out that they have something special about them. The Ring of Power, magic for Harry Potter and uh, of course being a Jedi. And then they are introduced to a helper very early in the story, this being Gandalf, Hagrid or Ben slash Obi-Wan Kenobi. So you can see it's, it's, it's not a perfect skeleton and it's not going to follow every story to a T. But it is interesting to see how three very different stories are actually incredibly similar when you break them down to the crux and fundamentals of what they are made up of. It might be unconscious, but it is fascinating to see the patterns that humans follow. Leo Tolstoy once wrote that all great literature is one of two stories. A man goes on a journey or a stranger comes to town. And the wonderfully witty Lemony Snicket responds to that and writes, They are both the same story someone going on an adventure is a stranger coming to town. So that kind of creates this illusion or this idea that there might not be anything new under the sun. And that's not technically wrong, but it also doesn't have to be a bad thing. Once you understand the definitions of your freedom, you are free to do what you like. All the stories might be fundamentally the same in the same way that human life is fundamentally the same by design. We are born, we grow up, we die. But that doesn't mean that life in between the cracks of who we are isn't something that is fresh, different, and interesting. So I think that's kind of a fun, optimistic note to end on. Hopefully that gave some lovely little insights into what Russian formalism is, specifically structural narratology. I know the world is a lot bigger and, and formalism actually makes up a lot larger tree and this was just sort of one branch, a brief look on upon one branch. But hopefully it gave you some, yeah, just some nice little insights into how these sort of these theories are threaded into the modern. Okay, so what am I reading this week? This week I have started to read a novel by David Maloof called An Imaginary Life, and it is, it's, it's simply wonderful. It's depicting the life of the Roman poet Ovid as he is exiled, or he's living in exile, and he doesn't speak the local language, but still manages to form a bond with this wild boy, and, I mean, so far, the lyricism, the beauty of David Maloof's writing is just making this simple and fun and easy read even more enjoyable. And, I mean, it's historical fiction. It's about Ovid. There's a bit of, you know, there's a tiny bit of Rome threaded in here. Big fan of Rome, as you might know. I've read Ovid's Metamorphosis. So, I mean, what's not to love about historical fiction that's written incredibly well? So, 
that's what I'm reading this week. I would thoroughly recommend it to anyone because it is just, it's it's just a nice, nice story. Now, before I close out the show, if you've listened this far, please consider hitting those five stars. I would really appreciate it. Also, feel free to head along to the podcast, uh, not the podcast, to the website of the podcast to support the pod a little further. But always, of course, thank you, thank you, thank you for your attention. Okay, to take us away today, a little bit of Louise Gluck. And she writes, Writing is a kind of revenge against circumstance too. Bad luck, loss, pain. If you make something out of it, then you've no longer been bested by these events.